RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. We've heard a few new terms in the last few weeks. One of them is global boiling. That came from the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres. And, uh, of course, there's been criticism out of Europe, particularly by commentators uh, regarding the way weather is being presented currently on media, and that is using alarmist graphics and uh, hyperbolic language. Somebody who can really give us a perspective on this, on the weather, on the climate, is Professor Ian Plymer, Australian geologist and professor emeritus at the University of Melbourne. And he joins us. Professor Plymer, welcome. Thank you, Paul. Okay, when you hear global boiling, what do you think when you hear that term? I think they've gone overboard. I think that they have uh, pushed the hysteria button too many times and too hard. Uh, global boiling, I have no idea what it means. It's meant to frighten us, witless. But to me, it's a demonstration that this has got nothing to do with science. This has got nothing to do with the environment. This is all about emotion and tied in with that emotion is parting you and your money and tied in with this emotion is someone having control of your life and that someone is unelected. So I I think that's gone right overboard and I think the community has realised that. And it's pretty low, isn't it, to, to leverage off the fundamental environment that we live in, the climate. Well, we've had climate changing since the first Thursday, 4,567 million years ago when the planet (laughs) formed. And we've had the climate constantly changing and we've now been able to recognise cycles. And climate cycles uh, relate to plate tectonics and these are on a 400 million year cycle. Climate cycles are related to having a bad address on the, in the galaxy, and these are every 143 million years. Climate cycles are related to whether we're closer or further to the sun, and these are orbital cycles every 100,000, 40,000, 20,000 years. And climate cycles are related to whether the sun's pushing out more energy or not, and these cycles are every 22 years and multiples of that. These cycles are also related to... Um, activity in the ocean and we have 60 oceanic cycles and we have 18 and a half year cycles when we push warm water up into the arctic so climate is cyclical we have periods when it's warm we have periods when it's cold we have very rapid temperature changes and through the eyes of someone who looks at the past if you ignore the past you do so at your peril and the past is the key to what's happening now and Basically, we are having the community totally and absolutely ignore these cycles. And these cycles have driven climate since the beginning of time. Just because you're alive on Earth today, it doesn't mean the cycles have stopped. I hear people say all the time when, you know, this is being debated, that uh, the majority of climate scientists are in agreement. The science is kind of decided Yet they would all, all those scientists surely are aware of what you have just told us. Well, firstly, they are. And secondly, there's no debate. And there's no debate because once you bring geology into discussing climate, there is no argument. And the figure of the majority of scientists, this was a survey done in 
about 10 years ago or 15 years ago by a chap called John Cook, and he surveyed 10,000 climate scientists. And some of these were Greenpeace members, some of these were uh, people who uh, were bureaucrats, some of them were scientists. But these are people who are eminently unemployable unless they're paid for by the taxpayer to live in some climate institute and to frighten us witless. And out of these 10,000 surveys, 3,000 replied, and uh, John Cook chose 77 of those 3,000. And 76 of those 77 said, oh, yes, it's humans that are changing the climate. And so <laughs> that's where the figure of 97% of scientists think that uh, human activity drives climate change. Now, we saw the same sort of thing in past scientific scams. In the Soviet Union, we had Lysenko, who was a peasant who became high up in the party and became in charge of agriculture. And Lysenko dismissed genetics. He claimed that communist ideas allowed plants to grow a lot better. Any of those geneticists who disagreed were sent to the gulags, were shot, were killed, were banned. And so we had the situation then that 97% of scientists agreed with um, whatever government said. And we're having exactly the same now. We've got 97% of scientists who are funded to live in the climate industry, and that's only 76 out of 77, uh, will argue that human emissions of carbon dioxide drove global warming. Now, here is, here is the catch. No one has ever shown that human emissions of carbon dioxide drive global warming. I've been asking this question of climate scientists for many years. I've been asking the chief scientist, the former chief scientist of Australia, and I serve on a board with him, and I've asked him, can you please give me just half a dozen scientific papers that show me that human emissions of carbon dioxide drive global warming? I've never had these papers, but I've had a lot of obfuscation. So in the climate industry, you have to be very, very wary. There is an enormous amount of BS out there. There's an enormous number of people out there who are uh, talking their own book, who are unemployable other than in the climate industry. So I'm very wary of any statistics that anyone tells me. Right. Before you mentioned geology, and you are a geologist, and I heard you say plate tectonics, and you mentioned a few other parts of you know the cyclical nature of climate, what sort of part does geology play? I'm just curious. Today's um, changes is is tomorrow's geology. Um, everything is related to how the planet is evolving. Right. And the planet has evolved over a long period of time. We are concerned about a trace gas in the atmosphere, but our previous atmospheres give us a different story. The, the planet's first atmosphere was rich in hydrogen and helium and ammonia and methane, and very quickly it became the Earth's second atmosphere, which hung around for more than 3 billion years. And this atmosphere had more than 20% carbon dioxide in it. By contrast, the present oxygen-rich atmosphere has 0.04%. So we've seen past times when the atmosphere has had a very, very high carbon dioxide content. And what did we see? We didn't see global boiling. We didn't see global warming. We saw six of the six great ice ages occurred when the Earth's atmosphere had more carbon dioxide in it than now, at sometimes thousands of times more. So 
Geologists look at the past to try to understand the present, but we use a lot of data from the present to try to understand the past. Right. We had a uh, situation here recently, you may have heard about it, where our climate um, institution, climate study institution, also a weather forecaster in competition with the other government-owned weather forecaster, the Met Office, linked uh, human-induced uh, climate change to uh, increasing intensity of weather events following a cyclone we had six months ago. And they furnished some data of theirs to try and back that up, though an investigative journalist showed that their da- the data that they used only went back to 1978. He did a deep dive into historical shipping records from 1800s newspapers from a long time ago, found barometric pressure and wind events, etc., recorded back then were a lot worse. And that that can't be linked, can it, to human activity because we weren't pumping the stuff in quantity back then. So that's immediately shot down, isn't it? It is, and this happens all the time. You have organisations making extraordinary claims and there is no extraordinary evidence to support them. Now, um, this is the killer. Whenever you go back into history, into newspapers, into historical records, you find that the narrative we've been given is wrong. For example, we had a very cold period of time called the Little Ice Age. Now, what do you think the weather's going to do after the Little Ice Age? Is it going to heat up or is it going to cool down? Hmm. It's heated up. And the Little Ice Age ended in 1850, and surprisingly, we've been heating since then. And we've had three periods of heating and and three of cooling. That's our two of cooling. So um, we have had these sort of measurements that we can do by proxies and by other methods going right back in time. We had a medieval warming. It was warmer than now. We then had the Dark Ages. It was cooler than now. We then had the Roman times. It was warmer than now. So if someone says, oh, the planet's warming, then you have to say, since when? Because it's been cooling since medieval times. It's been cooling since Roman times. But it's been warming since the Dark Ages and warming since the Little Ice Age. So... You have to go back in time because climate is not what happens today. Climate, you measure over hundreds and thousands of years, and then you can see it is not a one-day phenomenon. So going back to 1978 and thinking that there there might have been um, a great cyclonic event in New Zealand just recently, that's not going back far enough. And in 1978, I experienced a cyclonic event. I was living and working in Iran, and that's when the revolution started. <laughs> so mm. that, was, that was a cyclone that I have a personal experience, but that was a political cyclone. Um, and again, you have to be very careful of the language that is used, like boiling or global warming. The language is deceptive. Cyclones are real. Cyclones occurred many, many latitudes. We've got a very good record of cyclones uh, from newspapers. We've also got a good record going right back into biblical times. It's been written down. Yeah, this uh, this rhetoric boiling is just an example. I'm surely it's quite dangerous. I, I had a family member come to me and we were talking about this and she said to me, you know, don't you realise there's a climate crisis? To which I said, where did you hear that? She, she couldn't tell me. But you see how it gets in? It's very powerful rhetoric. 
And um, I, I think it is a crisis. It's a crisis of logic. It's a crisis of common sense. It's a crisis of um, thinking. And this derives from a crisis in the education of the education system. And that has given us a crisis where people cannot think logically. Okay. So what is being taught? In, I mean, I've been so long since I've been there, and I do remember being in a, you know, doing geology or, or um, geo something back then, so long ago. And I think that we received quite a, a straight up education there. What's being taught in schools at the moment then? Well, around the world, we've had the education system captured by the left. This started with the student riots of 1968 in France. Oh, okay. And then it's gone on from that. Now, in the school systems, I don't think we're getting the basics taught. I haven't been at school or I left school a long time ago, when did I live? 1963. I was born, um, I was born in 63. <laughs> and I've had children go through the school system and I've had grandchildren in Australia and in Canada go through. The- <laughs> they, yeah. they, get, they get taught um, a lot about um, the environment, a lot about society. Um, in my view, the school system is doing what, parents should be doing. However, we now live in a world where there are many broken families and kids cannot get uh, the uh, the morality and the ethics and rules of society drummed into them at home, so they get it done at school. In schools, uh, kids are being taught that everything we do um, has affected the climate. We have been taught that we are helping billions of people. We are evil, nasty people. And to that end, I've actually just finished writing a trilogy for school children. It's actually at the printers as we speak. And oh, yeah. the first volume is, I've called it for ankle biters, but that's for kids in primary school, eight, 10 year old kids. And that rotates around the human body, around the carbon cycle in the human body. And I know for my grandkids and I know for my kids that they're fascinated with things like farts. So mm. a lot of this book goes into the carbon cycle and um, relating what happens in your body to climate. The second book is for teenage kids and this goes a little bit more into how we measure climate. It's a book written in a very humorous style with a lot of illustrations, a book written. That's a little bit, um, it's a little bit naughty and the kids will like that. And I go into the unfairness of a lot of the climate policy, how you can have a wonderful life um, if you swan around thinking you're morally superior in an electric vehicle. But what about the cobalt that's mined for that vehicle? That is mined by kids your age in open pit and underground mines in the Congo the fatality rate is huge. These That cobalt goes to China, which then goes into helping make your electric vehicle. Now, do you feel good about this? So this is the second mm. book is looking at how teenage kids use the expression, that's not fair, and that's exploiting that view. The third book is for written for hopefully for kids at the senior level at school or maybe even post-school or university. And it just goes into a short history of the planet. 
and just going right through the history of the planet, written in a language that they can understand, where we look at the mass extinctions, we look at the ice ages, we look at the hot periods, we look at the cold periods, and from that we can show that we are in an ice age. We've been in an ice age for 34 million years. The planet has been cooling on a large scale for 50 million years. For the last 4,000 years, and 4,000 years ago was when we were in the peak of the interglacial, the period between two ice ages, for 4,000 years the planet's been cooling, but with spikes of warming and cooling. So that is a, a basically what I used to teach 16-year-old kids when I, I taught them, uh, took them out in the bush on field trips. So um, I, I'm trying to give a reset button for parents and grandparents to um, change uh, what the kids have been taught at school. And I've used, um, I've stolen from Marxi Tung, uh, and the mm-hmm. Chinese don't care about stealing anything, so I've called the book uh, The Little Green Book. Right. And, and as we speak, it's being printed in Brisbane. It'll be released on the 18th of August in Sydney. And I hope I can make a difference with that book because I'm very concerned about the knowledge kids have. And I would see them in first year university. I was the professor and head for 30 years at various places. And I always took first year geology. And these kids had come in with preconceived ideas. Unrelated to data, but related to emotion. And I would have to spend a lot of my time in first year geology from first principles using information that the kids could understand that, in fact, they'd been taught rubbish. And I'm using the same principles with these three books. So that's the answer. God knows what your question was. No, but well, well, it, well it's kind it, of in a roundabout way answers it. it it's it's a pushback, but um, you, you're having to push back against such force. That's the that's the issue, right? Look, I don't mind being outnumbered. Um, I think I've got them outgunned because I'm controversial because I use facts. And I speak the truth. And I know that if you speak the truth, you never have to remember what you said. Yes, and this point. is what's happening now in the science community where a lot of material has been written down, um, people making extraordinary claims, and hidden somewhere else is information to the contrary. A good example, the IPCC reports, the latest one, the AR6 report, has the summary for pottering on about how the world's going to end and it's all your fault and you've got to change your ways, otherwise you'll go blind, etc. And that is written for the press. But hidden in the text in Chapter 12 is some information on variability, on extreme weather, on these events like cyclones, hurricanes, uh, bleaching of coral, uh, temperature. And hidden there... Uh, they say, well, there's nothing unusual going on. Everything's within variability. There's not a problem. So uh, you find in much of the scientific work now that you've got to dig very deep and you you actually have to understand a bit of science to find out that on one hand, people in their headlines are saying one thing, but the data and their discussion of the data is saying something absolutely opposite. This whole thing about emotion and feelings sort of being... You know, it seems at the core of of what someone I see in the New York um, 
or the Wall Street Journal has described as climate hypochondria, a sort of transference of everyday uh, anxiety and um, and those sorts of conditions into climate, you know, to sort of transfer it over. Um, why why do you think it's so emotional? What's changed in recent times? And I guess I'm thinking the last 30, 40 years, it's gone from, you know, something that's quite clear-eyed scientific to this sort of wallowing in emotion. I think we've had a fundamental change in the West. We have got wealthier. More of us live in cities. Very few of us now know where our food and fibre and fish and minerals and energy come from. Uh, kids spend a lot of their time in front of a screen rather than outdoors, falling out of a tree, breaking their arm, doing all the things that kids ought to do. We've suffering. They get their knowledge uh, from or get their information from a screen. They don't experience anything. So they can see these horrible pictures, which are real-time news of something going on. Years ago, we wouldn't have seen those pictures. Years ago, we might have read about it in a newspaper. Kids today don't read newspapers. So we've had a fundamental shift in society. We don't get as dirty as we used to. There are far more people living in the cities now than in rural areas. Uh, in terms of, of the rural population, I don't know about in New Zealand, but in Australia, we've had a decrease in the rural population, but an increase in productivity. We've also had a 20-fold increase in bureaucrats regulating what people in rural areas might grow or, or, or mine. So we've had some fundamental shifts in society and people are insulated from these. In former times, we were hardwired for that monster that's coming up behind us and is going to kill us or eat us. We've still got those hormones running around in our body and we're hardwired for fear. And that's all of something they can't see, like radioactivity, like viruses, like bacteria, like carbon dioxide, like climate. So this, I think, is a, an evolution of an information age where we might be getting more information, but we have less knowledge and less education. And I think it's a result of living in cities. And this is the case in Western countries. We have a a much higher proportion of people living in cities now than 50 years ago or than 100 years ago. Yeah, uh, and then, you know, you, you talk about, you talk, talk, or mentioned bureaucrats there, and then there's the whole scientific community that's sort of, I guess, uh, clipping the ticket on this. Do you think they really believe what they say? Like, they actually believe it? <laughs> that's a good question. I was one of the few scientists... Um, employed in universities that was running contrary to the theme. And even when I was in university, uh, senior positions, I used to upset a lot of people by saying, no, this climate change stuff is absolute uh, rubbish. Now, what we find is that many people who have spent a life in universities or in research organisations, when they retire, they actually come out with a different story because they don't have to toe the line. They don't have to play the game. They're not dependent upon research grants to stay alive. So we see that a lot of people who are my age who have retired, who are now no longer in the system, will have a different view. So I think we've got this mass hysteria 
that's gone right through society, and we've seen it before. We saw it with the Dutch tulip craze in the eighteen, uh, sorry, yeah. in the sixteen hundreds. Well, we saw it. We only saw it a few years ago, were, Professor Clymer. Um, with COVID, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, with COVID, that's yeah. a it's a hell of a, an so, example of it. We we we. Yeah, so we, we've we've seen periods of time in history where the community collectively goes bonkers, and uh, at times it will happen very quickly. But for people to get out of that, it it's a very slow process. Now I think that slow process of coming out of climate hysteria is now happening. Okay. People have realised the consequences of all the climate policy. Those in Germany who, who, who've seen that they have no electricity when there's a bit of powder snow on their solar panels or you get a wind drought. Those in the UK that have had their electricity bills go through the roof. Those in Germany that might have been working in the automotive industry who've now lost their jobs because the German motor industry is moving out of Germany. Uh, we're getting a very slow realisation that sea breezes and sunbeams are not going to give us the electricity we need. They are massively polluting. It, they're eye-wateringly expensive and they're not solving any problems. So we, we come into this hysteria quickly. We get out very slowly, but at a huge cost. And with the Dutch tulip craze, it took a couple of years for that to happen. And that was very quick. Um, we are seeing the same. We are now seeing in Western countries, people have decided to rely on the wind and the sun to give huge amounts of electricity day and night. It just doesn't work. Hmm. It costs a lot of money. And we are slowly coming out of that. How long do you How think it'll you think take? take? Because that's what everybody who is, is yeah. on the sceptical side of it all um, is wondering. How long will this take and, and how much uh, power will be grabbed and how, how, how many of our rights, fundamental rights, will be taken away? I'm not asking, asking you to answer that, but do, do you see a time frame ahead that this can play out and, and, and sort of go back to some sort of normality? Well, I hope it happens in the next 20 years. Uh, maybe I'll be alive to see it happen. Um, I won't be ungracious to say I told you so, but uh, I hope it happens fairly soon because if it doesn't, my children and grandchildren are going to suffer financially. We are now in the situation in many parts of the world where people in one generation were able to live comfortably and even buy a house. The next generation now looks as if it won't be able to buy a house. So uh, I hope it happens soon. Um, it's a process that uh, is going to require many politicians who've nailed their colours to the mast to have to change their colours. Oh, that's but tough. A frightened politician is a good politician, <laughs> and once they're frightened, once they feel the community has shifted, they 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 will move on. Now, in terms of um, the self-interest in this. Um, politicians are only concerned about getting re-elected. They're not concerned about the nation or the individual. And this whole process of expensive power requires people to give up freedoms 
such as using a smart meter on their meter box, uh, requiring them maybe to travel less, maybe to do different things. And uh, I, I think it, it's a, a very, very serious Western phenomena of people losing control of their lives. Yeah, and giving up that control to to people who, well, I won't, uh, <laughs> I could end up using some pretty tough words, but. Uh, well, they're, look, they're faceless, they're despotic. Um, we don't elect them. Uh, they are very wealthy. I have no problems with people being very wealthy. But uh, coming with that is responsibility as well as the power. So um, we, we have those in Davos and others who are, who are flying in their, in their private jets, yet they're telling us a word that we see right through the climate bureaucracy. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so hypocritical. It's been really interesting talking with you. You've got the dog going crazy in the background. Professor Ian Plymer, thanks for your time. Good luck with the books. Well, I've got someone coming in to lop the trees. Yeah. Thank oh, you ooh. very much. Yeah. Don't, don't let anyone find out about that. Oh, no, it's all this extra carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. They have grown. Uh, I have to recycle that growth. Yeah, well, good point uh, to end on. Thanks so much, and uh, we'll keep an eye out for what you um, keep on saying regarding this as we sort of go more and more into this kind of derangement, as people are calling it. Thank you for having me. Ian Plymer, Australian geologist and professor emeritus at the University of Melbourne. Just to remind you that he rejects the scientific consensus on climate change, and he's been criticised by climate scientists for misinterpreting data and spreading, yep, misinformation. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.